0: Um, I kind of gave you a sermon that was almost like an advertisement for what's coming for the first four months of this year. We're, we're working our way through the Psalms of Ascent on a journey that is designed to bring us into the heart of God. So welcome to the journey. Uh, this morning we're going to do uh, twice. We're going to read through this psalm together. Uh, when it says reader, that's me. If it says congregation, that's y'all. And if it says men or women... This is not rocket surgery. I'm pretty sure you got this, okay? So let's, uh, we're going to read through the, sermon, the, the psalm twice, once at the beginning, once toward the end of the sermon, okay? Let's read through the psalm together. Oh, I forgot. Uh, if you look into your... We will. I promise we're going to read through it. If you look into your bulletin, you will see that there are prayer guides there. I don't know that they're always going to look like that, but there's going to... I hope, if I don't get the flu or something... There's going to be a prayer guide for every one of these Psalms as we work our way through it. You'll note that uh, what it does is it just guides you into using the Psalm to guide a time of prayer. Um, And there are going to be different approaches to that. Sometimes it'll focus on a verse or two. Sometimes it'll do. The first thing is a thing called Lectio Divina, which is a multiple read listening to God's voice several times through the Scripture. Um, We're going to do this kind of thing, and I've given you a reading for Monday and Tuesday. Then you're off Wednesday. Can anyone guess why? You might be off Wednesday? Because we come here, yeah, come on back, we're studying 1 Corinthians, it's great fun, and honestly, we're dwindling, love to have you come, seriously, it's it's a great time of going deep into the scripture, so please come back on Wednesday, anyway, so Wednesday we take off, then there's Thursday and Friday and Saturday, and then Sunday's also off, you can probably figure that out too, the times when we have corporate time of prayer and and worship, Uh, I'm not writing prayer guides for you, we'll do that together, but I want us to have time because honestly, the whole purpose of this sermon series is to lead us to listen to God's training in prayer. Because that's what the book of Psalms is. It's a training in prayer. And if you want your prayer life forever changed, spend time in the Psalms. You cannot be the same. after You can't pray the same way after praying your way through the Psalms. Um, this is just one small taste of that. And I'm hopefully keeping us engaged with it. That's the purpose of these. So you'll see those over and over again. And they'll give you some guidance. If they're not helpful to you, don't use them. But don't stop praying. And prayer is the lifeblood of the church. We need to be deep into this. Let's read through this prayer together. In my distress, I called to the Lord, and He answered me. Deliver me, O Lord, from lying lips, from a deceitful tongue, clickers. what shall be given to you, and what more shall be done to you, you deceitful tongue, a warrior's sharp arrows with glowing coals of the broom tree? Woe to me that I sojourn in Meshech. Too long have I had my dwelling among those who hate peace. I am for peace, but when I speak of it, they are for war. What you just read together would probably have been used like this. As the journey would go from wherever they were, from wherever they were living, on their way to Jerusalem three times a year, they would gather around a campfire in the evening. One of them would probably bring out some kind of stringed instrument or maybe a flute. And they would begin to sing together the prayers that God had given to the people for the purposes of the journey. They would both sing and pray because there's no way... Well, I guess you can if you want to. You can sing these words just like you can sing our hymns and never engage your heart. But if you sing the words you just said, and if your heart is engaged at all, it is a prayer song. We don't have the music. We don't know what tunes they sang. We know their prayers. And these prayers are meant to capture us. And so imagine on the first night, and maybe the first night we'd have a couple of songs. It depends, I suppose, on how far away you live. You know, there's... and I can't remember the exact number of these. There's, what, 14, 18 of these? You know, and, and so if you live two miles away from if you live in Bethlehem, you probably sing ten the first night, right? Because you got to get through them all before you get there, right? But uh, if you live a good ways away, maybe this is the only song you sang that night. As you sat around the fire, as the the food was burned that you didn't eat, and the tea brewed in the coals, You gathered to pour out your heart to God. Jesus did this, you know. When you journeyed to Jerusalem, you sang these songs. It's what they're written for. This shaped His spirituality. This, This regular rhythm of being with God was something that they used. And it leads us into the heart of God. But it has an interesting beginning. These are the very first words of all the Psalms. In my distress I called to the Lord. My what? Pardon me? You know, I'm, I'm doing okay here. I'm on a vacation. I'm on my way to Jerusalem to go. What? In my what? You know, because the word distress, I mean, that means suffering of body or mind, right? I'm hurting somehow. I remember that time we planned that vacation to go to Disneyland. And uh, we told the kids we're going to Disney. And they all dressed in black. You know. And when we got them to quit crying, and loaded into the car, off we went. Have a good time. What is it in the world is happening with this song? And remember, this is inspired prayer. This is prayer that God gives to us so that we can give it back to Him. So He wants us saying these words. In my distress, I called to the Lord. The journey begins with trouble. You have to do that. And folks, three times a year. Not once in a while. Not once every five years. Not when distress comes upon you. Now the journey begins with this introspection to look in to say, now, how is that true? Because I've been living my life, and sometimes it's really easy to find, isn't it? Sometimes I'm like, yeah, I'm sick this year. Yeah, my finances are sick this year. My relationship is struggling this year. Sometimes I have this death that I've got to deal with and grieve. Sometimes the distress is very simple. But folks... He didn't write this psalm for distressed times. He wrote this psalm for distressed persons. You have to begin, if you want to change, you have to begin with the acknowledgement of its necessity. You will not make a journey into God's heart if you think you don't need to. You will not make a journey into God's heart if you think you're already there. And so God, training His people to pray, begins the whole trip by saying, now remember, you are distressed, whether you know it or not. Folks who do not acknowledge and recognize their distressed nature become religious jerks. These are the folks who will kill Jesus Christ and think they're right to do it. They don't acknowledge what a mess that they are. They will look at other people within the church with hostility and think they're right. Me and God, we're both mad at you. Well, one of you is. One of you is. You know, they will go, you know what, but I'm right. You might be right, but you're still distressed. Because if you aren't filled with love, compassion, mercy, and grace, then you're nothing like God. If what's in you is selfishness, anger, resentment, rage, lust, etc., then you are distressed whether you know it or not. And so the whole journey into God's heart begins with, In my distress I called upon the Lord. And you go, what distress? And the psalm calls you, well, take a catalog. Have a look. Are you distressed? I have yet to be able to pray that prayer and not recognize that it's true. Someday, maybe. But I suspect I'll be able to, to pray that as a foreigner to it when I'm resurrected. Because right now, I live a redeemed, and yet still broken existence. My recreation is done, and yet also incomplete. I am already what I will be, and not yet what I will be. Both of those realities are true. And I will always be able to confront the need to change. And I will see it in broken relationships. I will see it in estrangements. I will see it in weakness. I will see it in uncontrolled hunger. I will see it in anger and bitterness. I will see it where I think I'm right. And I'm not loving. And the whole journey begins within my distress to remind me. I am not home yet. I am not whole yet. And I must cry out to the Lord. My only hope is the Lord my God the psalm puts in front of me a couple of pictures of what that distress looks like. Deliver me, O Lord, from lying lips, from a deceitful tongue. Now this is true of the entire psalm. There are two ways of reading this. And one way of reading this looks at this to say, the problem is outside of me. I am surrounded by people who lie to me. They want to hurt me by deceiving me. By controlling me, by manipulating me, and that is a very real danger, and it is not wrong to pray that God deliver me from those who would hurt me. But I will suggest there is a deeper way to pray the entire song, because the real threat that we face rarely comes from without. For the most part, when I'm threatened by somebody else, I can see the injustice of it and I can stand up against it and say, that's not fair. And I can run to God. But the real danger comes the real dangerous mouth is the one on my face. The real threatening lie is not the lie I hear, but the lie I tell. And whether I tell it to someone else or I tell it to myself, this is the great danger. The great danger of the deceptive tongue is that I should have one. Now, for some of us, we've been walking with God long enough that that rarely happens. But sometimes what that means is that the lie shifts. The lie shifts from the lie that tries to manipulate and control other people and what they think about me so that they won't think less of me. You know, I I, I wasn't... I wasn't late, I was delayed, and it wasn't my fault. Or No, I promise it's in the mail, or whatever that lie is that makes other people think you're an okay person. It moves from that to, I'm an okay person. The lie that we tell ourselves is the lie that will kill us. Because it's the lie that keeps us from dealing with distress. And he says, "I, I need to be delivered. I need to be delivered from lies. God, rescue me. Lead me into the truth. I want to be fully alive. I want to be in your heart. Guide me out of where I am to where I need to be. But what does that look like? Another way of translating this is uh, what more shall be given to you is also what can it profit you? What good can come of it? What more shall be given to you? What more shall be done to you, you deceitful tongue? A warrior's sharp arrows in the glowing coals of the broom tree. What's that about? Well, that's, you know, if you're reading it from without, it's saying, God, fill up my enemy who's trying to hurt me with arrows. The psalmists do pray those kinds of prayers. You know, I'm not going to fill them up with arrows, God. That's what those psalms are trying to do. God, I give to you the necessity of vengeance. Please avenge me. I am mistreated, I am abused. Rescue me. And so fill them up with arrows. But I won't. That's what the psalm can do for you. But if I look inside and say the real threat is my mouth, what on earth am I asking for here? What is my prayer calling on God to do? Let me ask, what are you willing to endure in order to become holy? Surgery? Spiritual surgery? Surgery? If I walk up to you with a knife and I cut open your midsection and I rearrange your organs, I'm doing some terrible violence to you. But if I'm wearing a surgical mask when I do it and it's because you have a sick appendix, I'm saving your life. The call, God, fill up my mouth with arrows, is you saying, God, I will suffer for holiness' sake. If you have to shame me, embarrass me, destroy me, whatever it takes, I want to be what you want me to be. And I am not. So if I must hurt to find my way through, then do it. Do you have the courage to pray that? Who might you become if you did? Feel free to light the fire, God. I know that you don't do anything to me, ultimately to my harm. And my faith needs testing by fire, so purify me. I will suffer if that's what it takes. You know, there's never been a culture so afraid of suffering as ours is. Because we have lost sight of the idea that anything good can come from it. We believe the nihilistic lie that all suffering is random and bad things happen to good people and it just doesn't, it's just not fair and there can't be a God doing it. That's what they believe out there. Real faith doesn't reject the reality of suffering. We follow a crucified king after all. So we embrace God, do what you must, do surgery if you have to, hurt me if it's necessary to get this thing right. Because it's so often wrong. I want to look good, I want to be right. I want to be good. Stick arrows in it if it's necessary. Woe to me that I sojourn in Meshek, that I dwell among the tents of Cater. Too long I've had my dwelling among those who hate peace. I am for peace. When they speak they are for war. A couple of things you might not know just by looking at it. For instance, how to pronounce Meshach and cater. Sorry to throw that at you in the reading before you. That's, but who are those people and what's so bad about living there? What's bad about living among the, t- the tents of, of cater? Aren't we supposed to love everybody? We are. Yeah, indeed. And you'll be able to do it well if you're influenced by love. These folks are folks uh, in, the, in the Hebrew Bible who are almost covenant people. Almost. Meshach is uh, an ancestor in the ancestry line of Abraham, born into Shem's family, into which, now there's also a Meshach in Japheth's family, so maybe you've got to go back to Noah. But it's like we were headed towards covenant, but the tree took a branch. And this is the non-covenant tree. The non-covenant branch of the tree. But now, ethnically, they're going to look exactly alike. Cater is one of of, uh, Abraham's descendants through Ishmael. Again, non-covenant man. But ethnically, they look exactly alike. This is saying, for too long, I've been around people that are just like me, but they don't have covenant with you. They didn't live in covenant, and so they don't have your covenant Guidance. And they're what's influencing my heart. And I can see who they are. I can see what their value system is. They're all about war, they're all about selfishness and hate. They're all about name your value system that's different. Authenticity. Our culture loves just be who you are. What if you're a jerk? I'm an authentic jerk. That's a problem. What if you're a sinner? Yeah, but I'm authentic to who I am and you don't get to tell me it's bad. Well, maybe I don't, but God does. God absolutely says it to everybody. Be better than this. He calls to everyone. Now, we have been given by Messiah a responsibility to those who are in the non-covenant branches because He wants them all. Everybody. But what this prayer is doing is saying I am influenced by those who don't have you guiding them. Can I honestly say that my value system differs all that much from the world around me? You know, if you took a survey of sins, of ways in which people misbehave, and you did it inside and outside the church, would it be different? Or are we like? Do we look more like Americans than Christ? And what voices are guiding me? out the of peop- the way people around me see things affect the way that I see things? You know, if you have Fox News or you have CNN or, or MSNBC playing in your house 24-7, you're hearing a narrative. You're hearing a story about what's good and right And it's telling you things to believe. It's not just telling you current events. It's telling you how to think about those current events. Both sides of the aisle are doing that to us. What social group do you interact with? Who are you with? Where do you go to your health club or do you get your medicine or whatever? All around you are narratives about what's real and what's true and what's important and what's sinful. Everybody's got them. Everyone has a catalog of sins. Are they gods? You know, because in some places, it's sinful to love terrorists. That's not true here. We are meant to love everyone. But I am for peace. They are for war. What is shaping this heart that beats inside of me? as I start the journey into God's heart, I am called by the prayers that God trains me to say. To look in and say, who am I really? And do I even want the difference that God will put in me? To love everyone? Love everyone? Pedophile? Homosexual? Terrorist? Love them? Do I really want that? Because it's what He's offering. To make you into something that looks like Him, that loves His enemies, that wants to to do good to everybody, even those who would seek His harm. And that's what Jesus Christ did. Do I want that? And am I that? And as I begin my journey, I look in and I say, what's happening inside of me? Where is my hope? Because i tell you what, it is awful hard to overcome the news media or YouTube or the friend circle or any of it that is putting into me the need to lie and the need to, to embrace war when I want peace, but I don't really want it that much. What I really want is to be accepted and loved. How do I overcome this? Well, I left out a few words at the very beginning. In my distress, I called to the Lord, and He answered me. And there's my hope. I have no hope of overcoming any of that by myself. Christianity is not a self-help group. It doesn't mean that I'm not supposed to be engaged. Absolutely, my obedience is significant. But even there, I have to realize that I either have empowered obedience by the Holy Spirit, or I have no hope at all. My hope is in the Lord my God answering the prayer I don't even want to pray. This is what this is. Because the truth is, I'd rather not admit that I'm distressed. I'd prefer to think I'm a pretty good guy. But Jesus Christ stands next to me and I look at Him and I say, no, you're the good one. And I need your help.
1: Please,
0: Lord, help me. And He does transformation we are seeking is available in the power of the Holy Spirit of the Lord our God, who by the mercies of Jesus Christ has saved us by His blood and through His resurrection is rising us into a new life. This is the Gospel. This is the power of God and it is into this journey that we are called. Do you want to do it? Let's pray together. Oh, I'm sorry. Let's, Let's pray together. In my distress, I called to the Lord. And he answered me, Deliver me, O Lord, from lying lips, from a deceitful tongue. What shall be given to you? And what more shall be done to you, you deceitful tongue? A warrior's sharp arrows with glowing coals of the broom tree. Whoops. Uh, Woe to me that I sojourn in Meshek. Too long have I had my dwelling among those who hate peace. I am for peace, but when I speak of it, they are for war. Do you want your journey to begin? Many of you have already been walking this journey for years, but remember this prayer is meant to call people who are already on the journey of faith into another journey, a deeper journey that you took three times a year. Let's walk together into the heart of the Lord our God. Let's walk as a church into that. And just see what happens to us when we live there. Let's walk deep together. If you know that that you're not on that journey, but you want to be and you need the push of the Holy Spirit, you want the prayers of the people of God, we will absolutely pray for you. It may be that you came here today and there's a burden on your heart that has nothing to do with what I've said, but but you really need prayer. And if that's you, we want to pray for you. If you haven't begun a journey with Jesus Christ, if you're not a Christian, there's no better day to begin than right now. If this morning you're subject to the invitation of God, there's space right here. Come while we stand and sing. Open the eyes.